is Nikita Ganatra. She is the owner of Kumon Math and Reading Center in Foothill Ranch, California, where she started in 2013. Her experience in K-12 over the past 15 years spans various K-12 educational settings, teaching and learning from kids of all ages. She holds a master's in education from Cal State University, Fullerton, where she also received her credential as well as a bachelor's of arts in liberal studies. Hi, Nikita. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you don't mind, share with us your journey coming to the United States and what you remember about um, what your parents shared with you and in, in the move in that process. Well, uh, it sort of takes me back almost 27 years now. Um, May 1993 was uh, when we all, all 17 of us, um, decided that we were wow. going to leave India. Yeah, that was uh, 17, four families. Yeah. My mom. <laughs> My mom and three of her sisters and their families all decided to hop on a plane. Of course, not, you know, it was a long time in the making, almost 20 plus years um, since the sponsorship started. And um, just getting on that plane in Mumbai, it was in the middle of the night. Um, If you know anything about international travel from 18 hours away, the other Mm -hmm. side of the world, Mm -hmm. you know, that usually it it is about 3 or 4 a.m. flight that you're hopping on to. So imagine corralling all of the cousins, uh, luggage. (laughs) We remember getting, you know, a lot of two bags per person. So six of us in my family, Mm -hmm. me, three siblings and two parents. So 12 bags to carry and... um, Certainly got on that plane. I remember it was Cathay Pacific. I don't even know if that airline exists now. Um, but hmm. got on there. I, you know, the fondest memory is just going up and down the aisles of such a large plane that we'd never been on. Um, I was 13 at the time. So this is my first international flight. And, um, Cathay Pacific, actually, you know, at that time, airlines were not very stingy um, with what they gave out. So we got these nice little backpacks. I remember playing with all the colors. Yeah, backpack. Inside you had activity kits, right? Um, Things that we don't see anymore. I wish my eight-year-old had some of that. Um, (laughs) But just um, finishing up that journey, we, we stopped over in Bangkok. And I remember all of us had to do a layover. So we stayed overnight at a hotel. This is our first time at an international hotel. And we all decided to raid nothing but the uh, hotel bar, of course, you can imagine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and not knowing that you can't just take that stuff. Uh, someone's going to pay for it the next uh-huh. day. Uh-huh. And I distinctly remember it was the hotel lobby the next morning. And my, my uncle was on one side, my dad standing right next to him. And they literally just took the bill and it just dropped. To the because every single one of us um, had decided to take, you know, something or the other. And they just looked at it and said, okay, I 
guess we're paying this bill out of pocket. Wow, <laughs> that's so funny. It's cute. Yeah. And um, Los Angeles is where we arrived. Um, in fact, actually, Placentia is where my uncle lived. And so that's where we all ended up. Cinnamon Tree, I think those were the apartment homes. That was our first home in wow. Placentia. That's, that's really cool. Um, so as a, as a young kid and right before coming, did you have any preconceived notions of living in the United States? I think the, um, the idea about the States was more created from um, the visits that we had from our uncles. And oftentimes they would be in the form of the Kit Kats that they brought or the Starburst or the kids that were represented in the picture books. Um, so a lot of it was more about, okay, who are the, 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 the people that we're going to see? And the only image that I had in my mind was that, you know, when I land in America, it, everyone will be blonde haired, blue eyed, and sort of, you know, the same color. Mm -hmm. And so that, that is the image from a 13 year old that I can, I can recall. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think the other piece of it that was sort of strange was I, I had no idea what the actual physical structural nature of the country would look like. So we only knew about people, right? Yeah. Sure. Very interesting. So as a child um, arriving in the States and, and starting school, what was that like? What was um, the school and the community like for you as a 13-year-old? As a well, we arrived in May, which was the end of the school year. Yeah. And um, I had finished eighth grade already at that point. But because of the age um, difference, they told me I had to return back to four, uh, seventh grade. So I did about wow. two weeks or so of seventh grade. And um, I think this is the most important one for me as I work with kids now in, in terms of how we address them. And that is... As an immigrant, you don't really know much about the country that you're landing in, but the country knows a lot about you. And <laughs> what didn't really happen is there wasn't a transition um, that took place for me as a 13 year old coming into a country. Someone as a peer buddy should have been there, but I just remember I was placed in seventh grade. Now I'm taking a science class, a lab right before lunch. I'm vegetarian. I don't know anything about meat. And I remember having to dissect a frog right before lunch. Oof. So, um, yeah, you laugh at this, but to me it was, yeah. it was so traumatic that I actually didn't want to go to school after wow. science class was done hmm. because of what it meant going into lunch hour. It was, you know, I was a kid who said, I have a stomachache. I have a headache. I need to go see the nurse's office mm. and then someone had to come pick me up. And so it was very, um, very real in terms of the experience of not really having someone there to say, Oh, you know, I understand where you're coming okay. from. Right. So that was, that was seventh grade. And then thereafter we ended up in, um, summer school, which I did at Valencia high school in um oh, wow. Belinda yeah. school district i went to kramer middle school yeah. um and then 
for summer school, we were at, at the high school and it was all of us together. We went to summer school. We didn't really need it, I didn't think, um, because I had already covered everything that I needed to know. I was already done with eighth grade. So I wasn't quite sure what was the purpose of um, us staying there, but you know, I, my uncle had already made these arrangements. He already knew that we wanted you guys to be in school during the time that your parents look for work. And so the next three months, or I think two months of summer school were completed while my parents look for work. Wow. Well, now can you, can you share with our audience, because most of us are, and probably most of our listeners are pretty ignorant as to what the Indian school system is like um and and since you were sharing that you were you were done with eighth eighth grade and then had to go to seventh grade sounds preposterous um so you know what so so tell us tell us about your 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 life in in school in in india how were the teachers and and if you're still in contact with like any any of your old friends or teachers well um Lucky for us, uh, we didn't actually go through the government schools. What we were able to do, um, actually, let me take you back to the beginnings. I attended a convent school um, in the little town of Junagadh, which is where I grew up in Gujarat. And there, it was very similar to just you're attending school, you have different periods. What you don't do is stay in one class. The teachers move. So all the kids are stay, or you stay in one class and then teachers, different teachers arrive to your classes. Um, so that was the beginning for me. But then thereafter, um, in about second grade is around the time when um, Central School, which is a government, um, it's a school for those that are in the military so that the curriculum remains the same no matter where the military families go. Mm. And that allows for that consistency for them. So we were able to um, get admission in central school, but being civilians, we not everyone could have access to it. Wow. So I, I remember the day that my dad found out applications had just opened up um, for central school. He was in the middle of eating. And if you know anything about Indian culture, you're sitting down, you've got your round plates and there's multiple you know, food items. And I remember him just literally dropping the bite that was in his hand and he knew he had to go and start filling out the applications because there were only a select few available. And uh, so he got three of us, my myself, my older brother and uh, eldest sister. All of us got our admissions into central school, which is a very interesting um, system. What I really enjoyed about it is it actually is the school is divided into four houses if you will so four groups and what you you're assigned to a particular group so you have school um from first grade all the way through um eighth grade if i can recall no we went all the way through 10th grade so first grade through 10th grade the entire school only has one class per grade level and the in the whole group is then divided into four parts so you have the narrow house you have the subash house you have you know and they were all named after the leaders um political leaders patriot uh, patriots um of the country 
And you're assigned to those groups specifically because it gave you a sense of home um, within the actual school. So you're not limited to just your own grade level peers, but you're exposed to the younger ones and you're exposed to the older kids. And you all work together to um, compete in different competitions that would take place throughout the year. Um, so if I can, um, I feel like I'm not quite doing it justice in terms of explaining it. So imagine like a big circle of pie and then you divide it into four parts. Each part plays a role in how it comes together. So the school structure during the day um, would be you arrive to school, you gather as an entire school in the grounds, you go through a morning prayer, um, you go through a uh, thought of the day. You have one person who is assigned to giving the news um, by having to listen to the news the night before and then sharing that. You have a day for general knowledge. So all of this is taking place as an entire school to really create this community, yeah. if you will. Um, and then, you know, everyone's dismissed and you, you go to your individual classes. So as far as school is concerned, most of it, that's my experience with the, the actual central school system. Um, it varies, of course, depending on what type of a school that you go to. You know, oftentimes my mom talks about the school that she went to, which was very heavy on um, how Mahatma Gandhi lived his life. Oh, interesting. So, yeah. Um, she, she attended an all-girls school. Um, they had to clean their schools. They had to make sure that um, everyone worked together. There, there was... Um, food that you could actually share with others. There was food that was made on campus. You could go off campus. So there were so many variations, of course, as you know, all different parts of the world have in terms of schooling. But Central School to me was very instrumental in setting high standards and really giving us a sense of community, which I don't often reflect on um, in my life. But you know, the moments when now I go back and connect um, with the same group, core group of, I think it was about seven or 10 of us um, oh, nice. in the same classroom. Yeah. I've reconnected with all of them. We're called the Junaga 19. We have a WhatsApp group. Cute. And it's great to see um, where everyone <laughs> is and doing their own individual things. Um, so with regards to teachers, I, I have not stayed in co contact. Um, I gotta say my first year uh, 1993, when I started eighth grade, the following school year, um, I reached out to my math teacher. And I think you'll like this one, is because my math teacher had actually told me um, right before we were about to leave um, that, you know, you should probably put that pipe dream away because I don't think it's going to really happen. Like coming to the and States? like coming to the States, oh. which is really strange because it's not like, you know, you're just picking up one day and saying, oh my God, <laughs> yeah. right? Right. There's yeah. like a planning stage that takes place. Mm -hmm. But there was very little belief in the um, ability of someone from that town to actually leave wow. to go do something else for, for their family. Hmm. And so I remember him standing at the window in our small little classroom, the classroom only could probably fit about 20 kids and I know exactly where he was standing there was a big giant tree outside of the window and he said you know I don't think it's going to happen 
Um, and he was the same guy who also, and this is very important to me because you know, as an educator, I think it's very vital that we really always are uplifting kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and here is someone who, who had such a drastic impact on my life um, to say that not only that, you know, you're not leaving or you're not going to better yourself, but when it was time to assess my math abilities, um, he had, he was the one who said, you know, just, you know, you're not just going to, you're not going to be good at it. Just give it up. And to prove him wrong, we had actually set up a tutor, um, during the summertime. And my parents will tell you, I have been one of those people who've just sort of absorbed knowledge by listening to people never really they didn't have to tutor me they didn't have to do any of that but that summer uh prior to seventh grade learning pre-algebra we got a tutor and i wanted to make sure that i was able to factor the equations out and then i went in and you know that first test that we took i said i can do it and so when i came to the u.s and started eighth grade all over again took my first math test and I shipped it back to him with a nice little note. <laughs> Here's That's 95% on my math test. Um, and I did not hear back from him. I'm so. sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> That's awesome, Nikita. <laughs> so, I mean, that that would be the, the way to say, you know, I, I think that kids don't always believe that they can. When, especially yeah. when you have, of course, influencing um, teachers saying that they can't. But when you believe that they can, they do. Yeah. And there's so much more potential to unveil that, that kids don't know about. Right? Mm-hmm. Correct. For sure. When you were in high school um, considering college, what were some occupations that you were considering? Um, in high school, honestly, I don't think that I even had an idea. I think we were just sort of um just going through the motions being a part of the system Mm -hmm. knowing that this is what you did and there was no other long-term plan to say um i didn't know that you had to you know starting in ninth grade you should probably start thinking about the psats or the sats Mm -hmm. and i did have cousins um who were in the same age range. And I do wish that, you know, there was a little bit more guidance, but in high school, I didn't really think about occupation. I just knew that, you know, we had to get through high school and then after high school, you go to college, but not thinking ahead as to what that road should be. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of times um, community college is the right choice for students. Uh, what would be your advice for students or families of high school students wishing um, to send their kids to college or community college or, you know, just, I guess, considering all of their options? I think a community college is a great way to get started, especially because I don't think that kids at 18 really know exactly what they want to do yeah. with their lives. Right. You've just left um, the security of home. You don't quite know what the world is going to throw your way. So I think community college is an excellent stepping stone to really just try new things, get a sense of, you know, what do you like? Um, there, 
the beauty of college system here is that you're not tracked already. In India, you know when you are done with 10th, 11th, 12th grade, you are either going to this route, you're going to math, you're going to commerce, you're going to medical science, but you don't have to do that here. Yeah. You can go to community college and you can explore. You know, my classes in- included criminal justice. It had the history of fashion. I took early childhood education classes. I took accounting and economics, and I hated both of those. So I'm glad I've got bookkeepers <laughs> that do that work now. Yeah. Um, but I thought at one point that I wanted to, you know, pursue fashion because I really truly enjoyed it at the time um, in my earlier years. Now I could care less. I just want a black suit to wear every day. Um, <laughs> but criminal justice was great. You know, I had a wonderful teacher who kind of got me into thinking about what it means to have different types of different approaches to criminal justice, right? So community college, I think, is an absolute fabulous way, especially because it is cost effective. Your parents don't have to go into debt. Your parents don't have to think, you know, I have to have $40,000 for that first year of college. Why? I don't, I, that is a piece that I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Why do you need yeah. to have that first two years of debt that comes on, um, the level of stress? Yeah. And my parents at the time couldn't, you know, they didn't support us. We were just sort of, okay, off you go to community college, go figure things out. Um, we were recipients of all the aids at the time. I think Bog was one of them. If uh, I remember, it's just, Know some help to pay for your applications and tuition and other things. We did the FAFSA. Um, so there are so many different types of aids. I don't even know that that I, we took advantage of all of it. Yeah. But I think kids should really consider those first few years of um, explore, mm-hmm. see what you like, see where your passions lay, and. From there, you know, start to refine. It's okay the year, um, you know, go and work if you must. <clears throat> Just use that option. Don't don't be stuck in one mindset of four years is what it means to be because it's not the option for everyone. Right. And it's okay if you even take a couple of years, go work, and you know, get to know who you are as a person, and then come back together and say. You know, like um, edX, go do a service project. Go take yourself into an unknown territory and find out what it's like to be there without the support of your family. Mm-hmm. And I think those are all great ways to really grow as a person rather than simply just go through a system of four years of university education only to come out on the other end and say, do I truly believe that this is where I want to spend the rest of my life? It, and. And you bring up a lot of really, really wonderful points because um, I was talking to to parents about high school and just about you know they were they were worried about their son or daughter taking um, or being able to get into into a AP courses and 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 I t- and I was asking them well what is so important about about advanced um, advanced placement classes. They said, "Well, you know, because if they pass these tests, then they'll get college credit." And so I said, "Well, did you know that the local community college, your your son could take online classes now, 
and don't have to stress about that AP test. They could just, and if they get a C, they get college credit. Right. And, and parents were oblivious. They're like, I didn't know that. I'm like, you know, this is, this is one of those things that high schools really aren't telling parents um, because they, um, at, at, at least for one of our local high schools, the principal wants to brag that, well, we have so many students in our AP classes without her really saying, well, they don't, they all don't pass that, that mm-hmm. test. Yeah. Um, and what they're, and what the counselors aren't, aren't saying as people in higher ed, a lot of universities are, um, aren't taking fours, like a, like a, like a passing score of four. They only want fives. Yeah. Um, and, and, and our, and our high school students are just stressed over, over testing. So I think um, there is a, there's a rat race. There right. Are, yeah. There is. And it starts from the top down. Um, the universities essentially are setting what it what is required to get into the, this university. Um, it becomes more of a and I mean, I think there are a lot of different parts to this. Right. Culture plays a big role for right. um, Indian parents. It's always been about education because education has has been the key to success. And, and truly for, you know, you're coming from a country with billions of people and you do only have a select few number of chances to actually come out on top. So you're going to do what you need to do. So I understand that, that aspect of it, but all the immigrant families that, that I see in my, just in my network, I find that there is this lack of understanding of what is schooling? What is the purpose of schooling? Right. Why is it that we're going through the system and the process only without really having to think through what does that eventually do for you as a as a person? So I think education plays multiple roles. You can certainly look for that financial stability down the road. You're looking for, um, you know, whatever that dream, American dream um, may be for you. But for me, it's the journey has really been more philosophical at this point where when I see the kids at my center, you know, Kumon is, is certainly there to be able to uplift the kids and really get them away from remediation and the acceleration, ideally. But in that process, it is, it's become vital for me to educate the parents to realize that it's not just about acceleration. It's not just about the APs. It's not about the test scores take a look at what it's doing to your child. What is the social emotional impact that this process has on our kids? And whether or not that is something that we're willing to pay out um, and sacrifice the kids' mental wellness for a, an A or for you know the AP score. When I get an, a resume for a center assistant position and it has a 4.8 GPA on it, um from a junior it baffles my mind Mm -hmm. that what where are you spending your formative years right where is your time truly going it is great that you're doing all of these things but instead of doing three if we do one and reflect on it for the course of the year would that be more of a meaningful activity for you to engage in rather than just simply going through, you know, I, the president of this club and I'm the founder of this nonprofit, but you're 16. 
Yeah. <laughs> I just want to know that you yes. can fry an egg, and when you go off to college, you're gonna know how to fold your laundry and do it, and、right. you know, pay your bills, right? The life skills are part of this integration that I wish high schools literally just brought home at back. And、mm-hmm. said, "Let's focus on things that make you human,、yeah. and then we'll turn you into machine when you when you're ready for it." Can you tell、yeah. us a little bit about、um, Kuman and what what that your program is and what that entails? Well, and、yeah. then and then and then also, can you talk about how you got to that place? Because you were first in education, which you were talking about social emotional. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>、um, so so yeah, can you? Can you also talk about that? Sure.、Um, Kumon is a program out of Japan. It's a math and reading program. It's been around for over sixty years, and、um, it serves kids as young as three, and the whole curriculum spans across、um, high school years. So ideally, it is a supplement to what takes place in the school system.、Um, the math program really is focused in on. Arithmetic, so we're really creating a level of fluency, which allows them to take the conceptual understanding and ideally do your problems at a faster rate if that's what's important to you.、Um, it's usually, of course, and this is my personal views, and certainly not、um, promoted by Kumon, is that you know when we have that conceptual understanding, and then you're doing Kumon to really do the practice. It's like playing the keys of a piano. The more you're playing them in in certain order all the time, the faster you're going to get at it. Right? No news, no big news there.、Um, for the reading comprehension program, really, we that's my、um, sort of heart right now. In the last four years,、uh, we've seen that kids who are not getting the phonics instruction、um, in classroom settings, we're able to really bridge that gap for them, where. They're learning to read at our program, and then continue to build new skills by doing by doing the exercises themselves, asking questions as they need. And because we're mastery based, it's not about、um, getting a grade and then that's it. You actually get to return the assignment back to us. We grade it. We ask questions. If you need help, we help you. And then you get to a hundred percent, and then we move on.、Um, so that is. Overall、uh, structure. The kids come to the center two days a week. Right now we're on Zoom two days a week, and we also have a hybrid,、um, which we've been able to pivot since the beginning of、uh, the pandemic, essentially in March.、Um, yeah, it, my staff was incredible. I gotta give it to them. I just said we're going online, guys. Zoom、uh, this weekend. You guys get to learn how we're gonna do this. Here are the laptops. Go do it. And we just learned as we went along. So it's been wonderful to see、um, six kids at a time. This is where EdTech to me truly started to pay off. Where now instead of me standing in front of one child observing、um, in a classroom of 15 kids, I could observe six kids very closely as they're doing their work because all the screens are usually tilted down, and so we can just see the work that they're doing.、Mm-hmm. Um, and so the immediate feedback, being able to Use a chat box to protect, you know, safe face. No real conversation happens、um, verbally. Wow.、We'll、say, hey, check your chat box. So we're quickly giving feedback there. If we need them to redirect, that's where it happens. So that's been wonderful.、Um, how I got into Kumon is more of a personal、uh, journey. 
So I finished up teaching. I did about three years of teaching um, in Whittier. Um, my husband around 2007 needed to move to New Jersey for his work. So I uh, just received my tenure in Whittier and we decided to just say, okay, we got to go. And so off we left for New Jersey for about 18 months, I think it was. And uh, during that time, the recession hit. We returned back. And um, when we came back, California, I think the budget cuts were in place for schools. So we didn't really think that school is where I wanted to go back to, public schools specifically. And I think for me, a lot of it was just um, personal misfit in education, where I wanted to have a little bit more freedom to be able to do the things that I wanted to do and accomplish with the kids, with the structure in mind, with um, knowing that I still needed to have a curriculum, research-based, evidence-based work that, that fulfills the needs of the kids, but at the same time, give me some freedom. So Kumon as a company um, was something that I'd known about because a lot of my nieces um, had attended Kumon centers. And I remember being, you know, a spunky 24 year old <laughs> um, talking back to my uncle and saying, oh my goodness, what are you doing? Why are you putting your kids through Kumon? You know, it just seems like a whole lot of repetition of the same problems over and over again. And then I actually saw the program <laughs> and I went through what it is that the program was doing for my kids. Um, and in going through the training, learning about it, I still wasn't 100% sure, but I had gone into it because I knew that it had been beneficial to my family. And so it would give me the freedom that I wanted to be able to do what I wanted at my center with a curriculum that I knew I had to um, certainly follow, right? Um, and at the same time, it, it would give me in the long term um, a sense of connection with my own family because it, it was after school. So I wanted to be at home. I wanted to be able to be with my family, do what I needed to do. I didn't have a child at the time, but we had started thinking about it. Not until 2012, which is when my son was born, um, where we actually solid that, yes, we were going to move forward. In 2013, I opened the center. Wow. So... It was, you know, raising two babies that first year, sure. yeah, um, or attempting, mm -hmm. yeah. So when you're when you're working with with families um, for the first time when they when they come walking in, and you can and we can also talk about COVID. What what are their main concerns? The concerns vary. Um, there's a range of them. There's a lot of um, need for remediation. My child. Uh, cannot do the problems that are in school right now. Um, we have comp reading comprehension issues. So I think reading comprehension really comes back as the number one thing that I hear from parents. And so what I've learned over time in the last seven years is you know, oftentimes they, they may not necessarily need my services. Um, the question really needs to be dug a little bit deeper about what does reading comprehension mean to you? And where do you think really truly is the issue here? Um, is it about not being able to decode a word, um, being able to sound it out, do we not have phonics skills? Or is it, you know, I took an AR test 
And this is really um, frustrating for me in a lot of ways because when the kids take the AR test, oftentimes if they haven't seen the book in five days and then at the end of the week, they have to take that AR test and they vomit. And then that is used as part of their grade, which yeah. it shouldn't be. Um, <laughs> that is a red flag for families. And so before even enrolling them, I will ask that question. But is it because of the AR test? Is it uh, very specific to that one factor that we're here? If that's the case, then let's talk about what that process and that system is and understand that better before you tell me that we need to enroll in Kuma, right? Um, for math, oftentimes it's more the younger students just not getting enough practice. Um, you know, Common Core started 2010, right? Um, that was about the time when we had started to predict that we are going to see a lot of our third and fourth graders come to Kumon because we spent a lot of time on conceptual understanding. We engaged in manipulatives. We did lots and lots of math talks. But when it came time to making that systematically repeat for mastery, demonstration of mastery, that's where the kids were struggling. So when my third graders would come in, it was not because they didn't understand the concept of addition and subtraction multiplication, but if you look at the progression of standards, you start to see a jump from third grade to fourth grade, where now you have to demonstrate fluency in being able to use these math facts, basic four operations, and start to apply them. So if you're not able to, if you have not received practice um, of those, then how are you able to then quickly efficiently solve a problem that uses those basic four operations, right? That's where I started to see um, the families come in. And so my message became more about educating the families around what is that progression of standards and how is it that those skills that you're anticipating in fourth, fifth, sixth grade need to be served early on for an improved um, learning for yeah. the students. Sure. So part of our program is through repeated practice and you have a long list of problems that the students are doing, but the design of the structure of the program is, you know, building a sense of a number sense where if I know two plus one is this, two plus two is one more, two plus three is one more because the add-in changes. So giving the students an understanding of how numbers are connected, what are those patterns? that became part of the learning for the Kumon program for me. And that is simply because I, you know, I'm teacher by training. Right. And so it was important for me to, you know, look at um, the number talks, look at what Joe Bowler is talking about when it comes to um, the content standards and how do we build conceptual understanding and what is the, re the reading research really talking about? Right now, there's a huge shift. We know there's a national conversation taking place around phonics being the foundational skill that we need to engage the students in. And it is the one skill that I can tell you our program really does offer. Mm -hmm. And so it over time, as I've seen my son really become the avid reader that he is, um, that my belief in the program as I deliver it because of all the different factors that we look at now 
is becoming more strong. So that's sort of, you know, and there's lots more to be done here. Um, lot many more conversations to be had about how can we continually improve the outcomes for the students, not just, you know, within my community, but how do we spread that a little bit farther out so that, you know, when I hear in um, and read in Facebook groups, teachers who are just 27 year veteran teachers just learning for the first time that phonics has to be taught explicitly breaks my heart mm -hmm. that we have kids so many of our kids just going through these programs and going through elementary years it takes them three years to get to third grade where they're supposed to begin to read to learn new things but then they're just finding out that i don't have the skills that i need and our pro through what we've wanted to do is i'm going to take your kindergartner first grader and get them to a place where they can decode ac accurately mm -hmm. and build language right so part of what i want to do at some point this is on my wish list is um just a uh, talking club yeah right? language gets developed and so many of our immigrant families um that don't have a, a english speaking parent at home for their kids it's not intelligence that's lacking it's right. just a language yep right right so for me it's important that we start to develop that through our conversation our kids work you know one-on-one -on -one with an instructor and i've instructed my instructors to talk to those kids you know engage in that everyday conversational english so that we can continue to improve the outcomes because language development is basis of the actual reading comprehension that you're going to have down the road mm -hmm. if you don't have language sentence structure how can you truly understand what it is that you're decoding right yeah as an educator and a businesswoman how do you see uh the current pandemic shaping uh the business and educational world um i think the pandemic uh, we won't see the impact of it uh, for another 10 years because this is truly the first year that, depending on which age you look at, yeah. for our kindergartners, preschoolers, it is going to be the most devastating because we already know that there is a lag in reading abilities for our students. Right. So the fact that this year they do not receive the amount of instruction, explicit instruction that they need is going to be detrimental um i think for the upper grades if we're looking at it if i were to predict this out i think if we just take the lens of resilience and let's roll with the punches <laughs> we teach the kids that you know life is full of ups and downs certainly there's more life skills to be learned yeah. um the direct impact, I think, is for the youngest of our students. Mm -hmm. And that's where our focus has been, even though, you know, we are business is operating at, at a place where we're taking in more business, not making as much, but we know the need is real. And so now before where I could have two students or three students working with an instructor, I have one on one and that's OK. Because, yeah. you know, it's it's a premium service that we're pr still providing for the same rate. And education still needs to be the priority. 
Yeah. But at the same time, I think we do need to address the social emotional well-being of our kids. I I cannot emphasize that enough. You know, with my own son, we just got his report card. It's doing fine, but it it there's a toll that we're paying right now. And if we don't if we keep our standards the same that we've kept last year, how can we in all fairness expect our students to reach those high standards? given the change in the entire world for the very first time in my lifetime i can say there's one thing that is affecting the entire earth as a whole yeah none of us are immune from what is going on none of us no matter what your social emotional socioeconomic status is right so how can we continue to behave that as of you know, life will just go on. I think we're doing a lot and we're spinning our wheels a lot and we're not taking enough time to step back and assess the situation as a whole and reflect on what it's doing to our youngest of learners. And we really need to take a moment of pause and just say, it's okay. We're just all going to be fine, but we need to hold each other. We need to you know, give lots of TLC to our little ones and and at the same time remind them that you're resilient, you're mm-hmm. capable. And you you don't have to hide your tears. You can <laughs> just say, Yes, I'm upset today. It's okay. Yeah. You know, I am too. I can't believe it. Um and let them be. You wanna play video games for two extra hours today, fine. <laughs> that's going to be your release. Yeah. Zelda it is. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Which is in our household, you yeah. know, Switch is the only thing that we get. So mm-hmm. yeah. Um one of the things that we that, that we ask all of our guests when we when we come to the end is their call to call to action. So what's the one takeaway you would wish for people to learn from you? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> um, I say take a worldview. Open up your minds to the ideas and possibilities of how others think, feel, exist, are, because the world is vast. And what is my experience is just that one experience in one moment in time. It is so important that we learn from each other, take a moment to think and put ourselves in someone else's situation and realize that what I know today is just that and it's okay. It's enough, but there's so much more to learn. So keep at it. That's really nice. That's a nice way to seal it up. Do you have any social media platforms that you would like to share with our listeners and that we can tag you in when we post this? Um, Yes, I do. Um, I have my personal page where I post a lot. We have our Instagram for our business. um, And that one is, uh, this is the amount of social media work that I do, but I have no idea what I'm doing. It's called Kumon Foothill Ranch. 
on our Insta. Great. And I do have a LinkedIn profile if you'd like to share that. Okay. But I was just having this conversation with my husband. He said, you need to make sure that you update your professional, um, you know, profile on LinkedIn. And they said, but I'm not planning on putting a resume out there ever again in my life. I will work for myself. Yeah. And I don't know. And that's, you know, I think that's part of just my experience as an immigrant. Um, and not having been through the very systematic procession of how things ought to be. Mm -hmm. Right. So even though I went through college and I had a professional um, job, um, but in my mind as an entrepreneur, I never really think about what is it that I need to put out there in order to move the ball forward. Yeah. It's sort of this this work ethic that I think is from my parents that you just do the job and then everything else will just sort of be you do <laughs> the best that you can with mm -hmm. what you need to do but you don't really put um, a chess piece with an idea about what three more steps are down the road. Yeah. And so. it's working for you. So I say keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nikita, thank you so much for your time today. And thanks for sharing your experiences and your philosophies on education and, and kids. We really appreciated it. Well, thank you guys for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure. And Fred, thank you for um, always keeping me in mind. Um, Dr. Hoffman, pleasure meeting you today. Hello, it's Malia here again, and we have a brief fundraising announcement. As you may or may not know, edX Global is a completely nonprofit organization that is run by volunteers. 100% of our donations go to student-led projects around the world, and it would help us tremendously if you donated even as little as $5. If you are in the spirit of giving during this holiday season, please send us a donation through PayPal or Venmo to edxglobalinc at gmail.com, spelled E-D-A-C-T-S-G-L-O-B-A-L-I-N-C at gmail.com. You can be provided with a tax-exempt ID number after your donation by requesting through the same email address. Thank you in advance for your donation, and happy holidays. We are also holding a popcorn fundraiser through Double Good. To order where your proceeds go to edX Global, use the website https colon backslash backslash popup.doublegood.com slash s slash o-v-i-l-o-g. And again, thank you for your support. <laughs>